This week on a lively experiment, it's been a week heavy on politics from a fundraising visit by a high profile national Republican for Alan Fung to campaigns for governor and mayor of Providence gearing up for the home stretch. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with their insights, Billy Hunt, chairman of the Libertarian Party of Rhode Island, Brown University political science professor Wendy Schiller, and political contributor Sam Howard. Welcome to A Lively Experiment, I'm Jim Hummel. Usually a visit by a powerful and high-profile politician brings with it a lot of publicity, solicitation of coverage from the news media and a lot of social media. But House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy's visit to Rhode Island last weekend to raise money in the second congressional race was like a state secret for the Republican candidate, Alan Fung, until well after McCarthy had left the state. Wendy, I know this helped Alan Fung financially. I, I don't know what it did for him in the court of public opinion. Well, I mean, I'm not sure that many Rhode Islanders were paying attention, particularly this past weekend leading into a holiday, a Monday holiday, so I think people were focused on that. Uh, but I think this is the fine line that Alan Fung will have to walk. People know him. I think generally people like him and respect him in the state. I think he's got an excellent shot at winning this seat uh, in the general election. But, you know, the idea that his victory would give Kevin McCarthy the speakership is something Democrats, I expect, uh, will emphasize quite heavily once the primary is over. And that's the sort of, uh, maybe we don't want to do this kind of thing that Fung has to figure out a way to avoid. And, you know, he'll get, you know, the way that district is configured, he'll have some base support. But this is why he downplayed it. He doesn't want to make him the vessel for making uh, Kevin McCarthy Speaker of the House. But he's also fortunate because if he had a primary, that would push him to the right. So he can kind of, you know, until after Election Day to be able to... Yeah, I was, uh, I was surprised that Bob Melanzia dropped out. I mean, he ran last time, and, yeah. I, you know, I mean, maybe he wouldn't have won necessarily, but I think he did it for the party, and because, you know, I think a lot of money will pour into this for Alan Fung, but in a small state when you're this well-known, I'm not sure money is the thing that will be the determinant. I think it's how do you say I will be independent, uh, but in fact my very victory will give the Republican Party control of the House of Representatives. What about the CD2 race, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I think... Fung has brought up uh, Claudine Schneider and Ron Makeley as people that he wants to emulate. I think that just doesn't work anymore. Those were different Republicans 30 years ago. Um, the party has just completely changed. It's Trump's party now, and you have to behave, you have to toe the line. I mean, we've seen anti-Trump Republicans get excised from this party over this primary cycle. Um, he, the other danger for him is that uh, Cranston is facing some financial difficulties that people are blaming on him. Um, so I think that could blunt his uh, base of support there in Cranston. So, you know, if you're Alan Fung, you're, you're good for about 35, 36 percent of the vote of the Republican base, and uh, he's counting on that. Uh, but, you know, he had two runs as governor, and he was untenable for the unaffiliated voter to vote for him. They voted for Bob Healy the first time, and they just didn't come out to vote for him the second time around. So uh, hopefully the fact that Cranston is a bigger proportion of CD2 and he maybe goes on the name recognition there, um, you know, that will help him, uh, you know, get over the hump. Uh, but really, uh, there's not... 
talking to the unaffiliated voters. And I think this is part of the strategy is uh, he doesn't want to distance himself from the Republican brand because he's got those votes locked up. And when the general election comes, he's going to go towards more towards the middle and uh, try to go after those unaffiliated voters. I, I don't really think it's going to work for him, though, because they've had two shots at him and they didn't like him. So. Well, and I think to your point, both of your points, excellent, is that uh, Trump is still, it's extraordinary in my lifetime. I've never seen an ex-president be so important in, the, in subsequent midterms. But, you know, especially with the events of this week, I think Trump becomes a, a more toxic liability for independent voters. And so I think you'd expect the winner of the CDG primary, the Democratic primary winner, to associate Fung with Trump. I don't think it'll get as much traction as it did in 2018, which was a big year against Trump. But I do think for people on the edge thinking this is going to give the Republicans and Trump the House. That's the constant refrain. It might say, man, I, I won't go for this. Well, that's the Democrat strategy in, in the midterm yeah. election, right, is to bring yeah. Trump as every chance they can they to bring them back into the debate because, uh, again, just like, uh, you know, Fung's trying to do, the Democrats want to motivate those, uh, you know, those surge voters you get in the presidential election years who usually stay home. You're going to lose about, what, 20 percent of the vote yeah. uh, from the presidential election uh, when it comes to the midterm election. So, uh, you know, if they can keep the drumbeat, the Roe v. Wade, the Trump, and keep that in the headlines, uh, it kind of papers over the, the problems that we're having with the economy inflation and the flubs, uh, continual flubs by Biden. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, conditions have changed a lot from that poll in June, both nationally and locally. And Fung's just not as much of a shoe in as I think when we weren't so certain about what was going on. Yeah, reflected nationally. Let's go to the governor's race. Uh, you and I, were t we've talked about this on every show the last month. Where is everybody? What's going on? We live in the East Bay. Not a lot going on. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, 30 days from today is uh, the primary election, and you would think you would be see a lot more, uh, you know, uh, you know, campaign ad signs. I've seen a few uh, Helena Bafana Helena Bafana folks signs in the East Bay, but that's been about it. Uh, it's been very quiet. Um, I, I just don't know if people are just keeping their heads down and trying to get to the general election, or if people just aren't paying attention because it's the hot summer, the heat wave. Um, and, you know, did they move the primary up a week this year? I mean, the, the, the whole entire thing seems to be uh, coming a lot faster, a lot sooner than what is normal. And I just think if anybody's really paying attention and is going to be motivated to get out and vote in the primary. I also wonder whether Helena folks who made a big um, she had a huge jump from that first poll, the WPRI poll, 10 points up, whether the advertising is continuing, whether she has enough, whether she has enough time. I don't know, Sam, as you as you look at them jockeying, what do you think? Yeah. To, to make a real run at it. I mean, look, I think McKee is really vulnerable. Like, if you look at uh, that, that Globe Suffolk poll, right, he had a two and a half approval, net approval with Democratic voters, right? Uh, four years ago, Romano had a 50% net approval rating with Democratic voters. That's, that's bad for a, for a sitting governor to have from his own party. His own party is lukewarm on him, right? One out of five Democrats are undecided about him. So there's lots of room for Nellie Gerbea, for Helena Folks, um, Matt Brown, you know, is to make up ground. Whether they eat into each other's support, and if this becomes a referendum on whether Dan McKee can do the job, I think that that's to his benefit.
Now, McKee has responded, actually, recently with a, a, a second or third commercial that really focuses on his role on uh, protecting abortion rights, signing gun, uh, gun safety legislation. Uh, it's a very smart ad to do exactly what you're suggesting, which is to bring a few more of those Democratic voters back to him and saying, listen, don't be scared of what I'll be like as a governor. Look what I've already done. I'm as liberal, quote unquote, as you need uh, in a state that is sort of very strange. Like, it's not, it looks more liberal than it is. And I, I also think there might be a gender gap in terms of support. We know that, uh, and also McKee in the last poll had a, a higher percentage of Latino voters, even though they were distributed than anybody else. And so I think, and I also think Sabina Matos running together with him uh, as for lieutenant governor, I think Ruggiero might, might have a, a, a chance, so question about it. I don't know how competitive Mendes is, but, but I think that helps McKee. If people start to think of this as a team that's business friendly, it might just push, uh, push him over the edge slightly to win the primary. But I also think that he has, if you look at the approval ratings, you know, there's five people out there, really three kind of in the, in, in the competitive. And if it's 22% undecided, he doesn't have to have that many break his way. You know what I mean? It looks like it looks like they're nipping at his heels. But, you know, a lot of times the vaccination, all the stuff that we said that was going to help him initially and the budget, do you just kind of stay with the guy you know when you go to the, power, you know, when, time, when times are going yeah. well, right? Well, power of incumbency. And he's also, you'll be getting those uh, $250 checks uh, for your kids coming uh, right around uh, election time. And the $1,500 is going out, right? Yep, and, the the, second. and, you know, the, the Dan McFree, the candy man, is out giving out every, uh, <laughs> uh, all the money to the uh, the state employees. I mean, that, that says a lot. I mean, that's how uh, Chafee won the uh, uh, the um, governorship was by locking up that union vote. Have you and patented that yet, Dan McFree? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I would, I just think he doesn't have this unlock and incumbency, I don't think applies in the same way here, right? Like, we, he wasn't elected governor, he was elected lieutenant governor, and he barely won in 2018 as an incumbent. He has had problems with campaigns. Um, and I think there's, he's intensely vulnerable. I think Corbea is hot on his heels. I think she has a really good chance of winning this. Um, but can you, I, I, I actually think on, on paper, I would have thought Nella Gorbea would win this primary. I, I would have, because she's well-liked, she's done very well. You know, she had a terrific ad in 2014 when people thought she was going to lose the race. She had this great sort of, I'm here, I'm a Rhode Islander, I, I, know, I know what you need. And she won the primary against somebody who was much better funded. So I don't uh, underestimate her. But to your point, and to your point, I, I, as an observer, would like to see much more of her. I'm not seeing enough television commercials. I'm not seeing enough social media presence. Events, events, events. every single day. Yeah, you know, where yeah. are you? And, you know, get out the door because I think she's, uh, like with Alan Fung, I think she's well-liked. And I think she, I don't see that she is, she is capitalized on that enough uh, at the moment to lock in her lead. That's the question there for me. Yeah, I mean, I think campaigns have gotten a lot more targeted, right? It's a lot harder to actually just watch them play out in the way where, you, you know, you have to show up to parade or whatever. But it's a lot easier to really just go... These are our target universe of voters and go, we're just going to send to them. Like, I'm not surprised, Bill, you're not seeing anything because you're not well, within the Democratic primary target true. universe, right? Like, there's no one who has you on their radar right now. But that's a well, mistake. I, dis I disagree. Yeah. Well, no, it's... As somebody who has run my own campaigns, you know, the unaffiliated voter, someone who is showing up and voting in a midterm election, if they're not, if they're not affiliated Republican, they're not affiliated Democrat, they should be on everybody's voter list because those are the sway voters that are going to give you the, you know, the 5, 10 percent of the vote that's going to make the difference in the primary. But in a primary, you're talking about dedicated voters who are most likely to turn out, right? Like, that's, that's where you're most likely going to see your victory happen. And so in that case, you really want to go and persuade those 
most reliable voters first, and then you go to the less reliable voters. But they still need to vote in the Democratic primary. But we have an open primary right. system. And the, affiliate. Yeah, the That's first it, thing, right? how many people disaffiliate as soon as they walk right. out of the It's just a lot more primary. expensive to go activate you. That's true. And as opposed to someone, convince someone who's already going to show up right, to the Right, to polls. give them a little nudge. Yeah. How, but, I, but, but, just really, uh, but to your point, I'm not sure that they're not well, interested in voting. So I think your point is that they're activated. They want it. They're not decided, but they're activated, and they could come into a primary and help you if you went after them. But I also uh, I think you're right. It's expensive to go after them because you don't know quite who they are. I just think more presence, uh, reminding voters that she's been elected twice statewide, that she's done a good job as Secretary of State, et cetera, et cetera. I think she needs to do more of that, and she needs to do it soon. How much did the consultants run the show here? At some point, I mean, it's the te it's the tug back and forth because going back to Sheldon Whitehouse's campaign, he had these Chicago bozos who basically told him don't don't talk to reporters this is Rhode Island that may work in Chicago but you wonder why isn't Nellie Gorbea out more and like every day doing an event is a consultant telling her not to do that um I I don't know I haven't had you know a lot of direct campaign experience in Rhode Island at all so I don't know she she's a very capable person Nellie exactly Gorbea, so I don't think even if somebody was telling her to do something I think she same with McKee uh, I think they both went, well, we know what we're doing. Uh, so I, I don't know what what's going on. But I think, you know, there is, a, as you said, small window before school starts. People, families are getting their kids ready for school. Uh, you got to connect there and then. And She's been spending a lot of money on internal polling. So maybe in every poll that she releases says she's ahead. So maybe she just feels just comfortable. She talked to Hillary heat. Clinton yeah. about that strategy, yeah. which did not work out so well in 2016. Yeah. Let's um, move on. Uh, the Providence mayor's race, which we've talked about just a little bit here. Um, Sam, let's begin with you. Sam and Wendy both live in Providence, so that's an advantage, and we were talking a little bit off-air, kind of uh, what you have seen and kind of the vibe. So, Sam, what is your take on this? Yeah, let me just preface this, that um, I have worked for Cuervo recently. I'm no longer on the campaign, but um, I just want to understand that. say yeah. that and put my cards on the table. I want him to win this election. Um, I think he's got a lot of momentum. Early on, he had uh, Mary Ellen Goodwin. He had uh, Mary Kay Harris on the come endorse him. Now he's got a bunch of progressives from like David Morales, Sierra Mack. So I think he's got a lot of momentum um, and I think he's heading into the primary in a really good spot. Um, when I take a step back and I think about this, I do think this is an election that any candidate, any of the three candidates can win. Um, they just need to, really the key thing right now to me is they need to send out mail, um, especially Nerva and uh, Gonzalo need to get mail into the doors. Um, Smiley, I think I've gotten a piece of mail from Smiley every week since June. Um, those have been basically unanswered by Nerva and Gonzalo, and so they have four weeks left. It's very, if they get mail in the door, I think they just blunt Smiley's uh, approach. They follow that up with door knocking, text, email. Are you getting any mail, or do they uh, forward uh, it somewhere else? We have gotten no mail on our, on our street. But you're getting your like bills, right? That's coming through. It's not a mail <laughs> yeah, problem, Yeah, no, no, right? it's not the U.S. Post Office, uh, uh, Postal Service. I, I mean, I, I would have thought Brett Smiley would still be the front runner. I think people are concerned about the finances of Providence. I think they want someone who has got a lot of experience dealing with business community, dealing with finance, obviously, uh, at the state level, who will be uh, able to work with the governor and the state legislature well, and I think he's got an advantage there. However, you just get the sense that Cuervo 
Ambrose coming on. Like he's got very good, um, his media productions are good, his, his ads online, he's got good email reach out, outreach. I, I, I think that, and he's got, you know, he's, he's everywhere. I mean, you just feel like he's really out there. So, you know, signs are one thing on the east side, but if you go to South Providence or other areas, you see more of Cuervo. And, and if there is a significant uh, holistic Latino turnout across all different communities, Latino communities, Dominican, uh, Puerto Rican, Colombian, wherever, whatever, uh, I think that he has a decent chance, depending on that turnout, of, of winning the primary. So we'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll defer to the province <laughs> experts. Uh, you know, over on the East Bay, it's not as a rough and tumble politics, I guess. But no, I, I mean, traditionally, I mean, what is it? The East Side uh, goes the the, mayor, uh, the mayoral race, so uh, that's who I'd be looking at. And I mean, you guys tell me if I'm wrong with that. I mean, no, I think so, I think South Providence and other communities in Providence, particularly Latino turnout in those communities, matters a great deal also okay. in the in the in the race. So we'll have to see. I think I think the East Side vote is going to be so fragmented this time; it's going to be practically neutralized. And so I think between I think. Folks who think like Nerva and Smiley are gonna completely dominate the East Side, I think are making a mistake. I think that's that's too hubristic. Um, Gonzalo has a really good chance of building up to 20, 30, 40% of the East Side. Well, Nerva, I think, uh, you know, I think she has done, earlier in the year, she did really excellent media, mostly free media, uh, and she's a good spokesperson and salesperson for herself. I, I don't think I've seen enough of that. I think there has to be much more aggressive outreach on her part as well to stay in this. She's been good about um, taking her weaknesses, which are that she's trying to have a full-time job at the same time and that she's a working mother on top of things, things that, you know, have actually impacted how well she can campaign and turning them into strengths and saying, like, I'm, I'm, I'm just like you. Um, I do think it's a tough message to pull off. Just briefly, um, we could do a whole half hour on it, but you and I have been talking, we were talking a little bit in the green room, your efforts to get the Libertarian candidate on for governor. And you're still in the middle of that, so just give us a brief recap on what's going on <laughs> and some of your frustrations. Oh, yeah, certainly. So uh, we are the uh, Libertarian Party of Rhode Island. We are not an officially recognized party in the state. Uh, part of that process is getting 5% in a gubernatorial race. Uh, so a prerequisite of that is to uh, run a candidate, and to get on the ballot, you need 1,000 signatures. Uh, so we attempted this process. We turned in uh, over 1,300 signatures on behalf of our candidate, and uh, basically one out of four were rejected, and we fell about 50 signatures short of our goal. Uh, we are in uh, efforts right now to challenge with the Board of Elections. There's about uh, uh, 90, 95 signatures or so that we're challenging with them uh, as if that they should be counted towards our total, which would put us over the threshold and get us on the ballot. Uh, but just generally, uh, the process, uh, the ballot access process and the ballot petitioning process in the state is very antiquated. Uh, it's not very run very efficiently. It's very expensive. And it's really a arbitrary and capricious barrier for third parties to get on the ballot. Um, and the natural way for us to make change is to get people elected and to change the laws. But uh, seeing that there's this barrier in place and it's preventing us from doing so, uh, we're trying to make an appeal and to get the word out and to hopefully, with all the efforts that have been made to address the voting issues in this state, uh, you know, we would spend some time uh, doing the ballot access because uh, who cares if you can vote uh, if as the choices for who you can vote for are limited. So uh, that's what we call an illusion of choice in the state. So, Or is that just a matter of 
having to play by Rhode Island's rules. You want to get Rhode Island's rules changed, though, right? We want to get Rhode Island's rules, but is it really Rhode Island's rules? It's the law that's on the books, but those laws were passed by two private corporations, the Republicans and the Democrats, and uh, their stated goal, once they're in power, is to maintain that power. So what better way of doing that is by creating these rules to prevent third parties from getting on the ballot? And ranked choice voting, for example, right? It's it's really spreading, I think, much more quickly. And Are I used we to, ever going to get that? Well, I used to think it was too confusing, but I think Maine, New York City, lots of people have figured <laughs> Sam's shaking it. his head. Is it too confusing? I mean, it's not, you know, it's a little confusing, but on the other hand, it would allow more choice. And I think there's, a, especially among young, younger voters, if they turn out to vote, um, you know, they want more choice. And instead of having these arcane rules that protect the two major parties, which they put in place because they control elections, we would have more choice across the board. And that would be an electoral mechanism to create more momentum for alternative candidates. Look, uh, I'll, I'll speak to both in sequence. So in terms of ballot access, uh, as uh, Professor Myers at PC says, from the moment the state took over ballot uh, elections administration, they needed to answer how, how do we decide who gets to be on the ballot or not. And the system is set up, is designed, yes, so that two parties capture all of the political uh, uh, activity. I think there are, there's, we, we should reform our laws. I think there, Vermont has a really good ballot access law for third parties where they require parties to organize commit, committees rather than go collect signatures or win a certain threshold of votes. Um, and in terms of ranked choice voting, I think ranked choice voting doesn't break the, solve the problem. Like if you look at the results, generally the person who was leading at the, in the first round wins at the end. And so, by the time you get to like the 10th round of voting, so many voters might have dropped off. They only actually are winning with 33% of the vote, which they would have won with in the very first round. So you're but, winning by a trick. But, but it acclimates voters to the idea that they can pick one, two, three, four. In other words, they don't have to just pick one. They can express preferences that are more nuanced. And I think that does create an environment that says, oh, maybe another person from another party might be good over time. I think it's just going to take a really long time for people to get used to that idea. J just in this state, though, um, you know, how many races are run unopposed? We're not talking about statewide uh, national races or anything like that. We're talking about the local town councils, uh, you know, the state reps, the, the state senate races. And we don't want to run a gubernatorial candidate. That's the prerequisite of us forming a political party. We would much rather run local candidates and focus on the local base, which is what a grassroots organization should be focused on. And that's why, you know, to the forming town committees or anything like that would be a, a Final word on that. Yeah, I just think with there are better systems of ranked choice voting. I think especially when you think about the how long a ballot gets, the more you start ranking folks, um, it just becomes such a pain for elections administration and for voters. Like, it takes longer to All vote. right, let's do outrageous and uh, kudos, because I know we've got some national we want to talk about. Billy, what do you have? I, I just want to say, I, I'm, a week from today, I will be having uh, my second son. And, uh, Let the I trumpets just, blow. I, I just uh, thank you so much for my wife for letting me do all the crazy <laughs> stuff that <laughs> kudos. I do. Kudos to, to Jess. Uh, I love you very much. So uh, that's, that's a great kudo. <laughs> Sam, do you have an outrage or a kudo? I have a kudo. Uh, there's an excellent documentary, No Time to Fail, um, that uh, follows election administrations during the 2020 elections. Uh, if you care about elections, uh, it's going to be at the Avon in October, so you should definitely go and see it. Um, excellent. What do you got? Okay, outrage. I'm just going to go there. Uh, uh, it is outrageous to me that uh, uh, if it is true that a, a former president removed classified intelligence documents, not only about our nuclear safety infrastructure or nuclear weapons infrastructure, but also about covert operations across the world, if that's true. We don't know that that's true. But if it is, 
that is against the law and it is something people should take very seriously. Do you really think this person cares about the national interest? So we're taping on a Friday morning. Merrick Garland yesterday said that he wants to uh, release the warrant, which will tell a lot about the uh, about the visit. And everybody's talking about a raid. We were talking about the New York Times piece. Leading up to this visit raid by the FBI, they asked nicely. They sent people in June. They issued a subpoena, and Trump still blew up. This wasn't up. a surprise raid at all. His lawyer and Trump was wasn't there. Even, and Trump wasn't even there. No, so. but his lawyer was there the whole time. There was no planting of anything. There was nothing untoward. This is, you know, standard procedure. They were given months of warnings about this. They were asked, the pre former president was asked to turn over documents that he either, you can say, improperly or illegally took that no president's allowed to do. And they said, we want them back. All we want is we want them back because we need they need to be secure. But the war the, my point was the warrant's going to tell us a lot about what they were looking. I mean, we can all speculate right. and the sources and the nuclear codes and all of that stuff, but the warrant will this weekend. By the time you watch this, we may know. I think it's the letter. It's Obama's letter to Trump that he doesn't want to <laughs> share with anybody, and that's uh, the whole thing. He just for spite, that's, he doesn't want to do it. And the Democrats I mean, are just desperate to see what Obama is. I mean, I think I mean, to me, <laughs> but I also think you're starting to see and uh, the uh, quote unquote establishment conservative press meaning Rupert Murdoch, Wall Street Journal, New York Post, Fox kind of on the edge, starting to say we've got really good alternatives to this guy. Push you know, aside. it could be Ron DeSantis in Florida, it could be some other people, uh, Christy Noem, Kim Reynolds in Iowa, whatever we have, Abbott in Texas, we've got good choices without the baggage. Let's start to turn the page. And that's what we have to start to see in the next couple mm. of months, whether in fact uh, that actually starts to happen in terms of coverage for Trump. Because we know one thing, uh, media coverage is like oxygen to Trump. And if he doesn't get enough of it, then he will get more and more outrageous just to get the coverage. And we'll see what the conservative media does. Wendy said everything that I needed to say. <laughs> what do you think about, we, I sent you the copy of the Wall Street Journal article that said, and we, you know, we, Wendy, we've been talking about this all, okay, it looks like how the midterms and how's it going to go, and you keep, you keep track nationally what's going on, that it may not be a red wave in the fall. But I, I don't know if that's wishful thinking maybe by the Democrats. I mean, I think their candidate quality, especially in the Senate, I mean, like Blake Masters, J.D. Vance, Herschel Walker, Dr. Oz, not good. Yeah. Um, and Fetterman is killing him. Yeah. In from his living room. <laughs> yeah. From his lazy exactly. boy in his He's living been room. Out once, He's right? not getting out the door at all. Exactly. But those are those are all pickups, right? I mean, like those are all winnable races for for the Republicans. Um, that you know, there's this really weird chance right now. Democrats could lose the House, but actually gain seats in the Senate. And that's, I mean, that is not what... What do you think about that? Well, I think, want. A, if you're Wall Street, that's what you want. You want to you mitigate the opportunity for any regulation or more liberal legislation. So you want a split chamber. Uh, lots of investigations that will get thwarted by the Senate. African-American vote, let's just not leave that out. It is crucial in this midterm. We talk about it all the time, but it's really crucial, particularly in states like Georgia and also North Carolina. Sherry Beasley's running North Carolina. They have a chance there. And in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. You know, you're going to need Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, particularly a uh, high concentration African-American. African-American vote is so important, and I don't think that the Democrat Party is paying enough attention to it, except for those races. And I think everywhere you go, Ohio and also Tim Ryan may have a chance at defeating J.D. Vance, uh, which would be a huge pickup. Uh, there's already a Democratic Senator, Sherrod Brown, from Ohio. So he, he can be done. The point is, I think the Democrat Party can take people for granted and voting blocks for granted, and you're getting a sense that they're, they're not 
not working hard enough to make sure that that key voting base gets out. But in North Carolina, it helps Sherry Beasley is African American. Yes. And that's Burr's seat, and that's been Republican for the longest time. So if they can flip that, it's like Kevin McCarthy coming in and wanting to punch Rhode Island in the mouth, seeing they smell blood because of the potential to flip a seat in Rhode Island from you know red uh, blue to red. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's definitely going to be an interesting race, and uh, I, I I I think that uh, the midterms are interesting because of the uh, the political maneuvering that are going on, especially with the uh, the Democrats and the progressives trying to push the Trump candidates, believe it or not, because they think they're going to have, uh, to your point, a better. Uh, uh, is that uh, playing with fire? Well, it, it is, right? It's like playing it, with fire. That's yeah. like that's like setting up a huge bonfire well, and, and watching it burn. And, it's and, insane and, and, to and do this and Exactly, and and it's it's funny because you know after all is said and done, you know uh, Trump. Uh, all people said, you know, he wanted to drain the swamp and change everything. But here it is. It's his own uh, people in power that he kept in power, hold over and stuff like that, that are, are coming after him right now. So he really didn't do a good effective job of draining the swamp. He's uh, uh, a false Last prophet 30 to all seconds. these people. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to give it to Sam on this one. You got to tell me what you think of this strategy by seconds. the Democrats. Yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right. It's playing with fire. Um, it makes sense because uh, you, you want to increase your chances and this is the way elections are played Except in America. Except they're spouting election but, denial everywhere yeah, and undermining the, the democracy. The problem is if those folks win, <laughs> you, have <laughs> the right. you have fascists. Right. <laughs> well, there you go. That's another problem. Folks, thank you for joining us. Sam, it's nice to have you back off Great the campaign that. trail, Wendy and Billy, and we'll be looking forward to uh, news and maybe a picture next time you're on of the newest addition to the Hunt family. Folks, uh, we are heading into the home stretch toward uh, primary day. Stick with us. Things change every week. We will be uh, back here uh, next week with the latest analysis on a lively experiment. Have a great weekend. Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.